Continuing our series in Ephesians, and we're still in chapter 1, so if we can open our Bibles at Ephesians chapter 1, we're going to be reading from verse 15 to 23. For this reason, I too, having heard of the faith, your faith, in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you, and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. That the God of our Father, sorry, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation and in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe? These are in accordance with the working of his strength, of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet, and he gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Fantastic piece of scripture. And we'll try and unpack it this morning. And in this section, we have Paul's own prayer for this young church, for the Ephesians and for those others who, to whom this letter was going to be circulated. It's his prayer for them. We're hearing the words of Paul, what's on his heart for these young churches. In response to hearing about their faith, he prays for them two things. Firstly, that God would give them a spirit of wisdom and revelation in order to know him better. And we all need to know God better, so may God give each one of us today a spirit of wisdom and revelation to know God better. And then secondly, he prays that their understanding would be increased. Their understanding would be increased. He said, the eyes of your heart be enlightened, that they might understand more, so that they might know the hope of his calling, the riches of his glory inherit- glorious inheritance, and his great power. Paul's prayer for them is all about them receiving more knowledge and understanding of all that God is and all that God's done for them. So that it might enrich them, so that it might increase them, so it might take them to a greater level of knowledge of him and also of power in in order to work in all that he has them to do. Paul is desirous that they would get the, the full package, as it were, of what God has for them. And then after that, he goes on to identify the power that is at work in the believers. He says the, same, the power that's at work within you is the same power that raised Christ from the dead and caused him to be seated at God's right hand in heaven above all other powers and authorities, both now and forever. And from here, he emphasizes the supremacy of Christ. But then he says some, something amazing. He says, Jesus is installed as head over everything for the sake of his church, his body, which makes him even more full than he already is, even though he already fills everything already. These are tremendous concepts to try and get our heads around, but we're going to try and do it as we go through this morning. So let's start with with the first part of that, the spirit of wisdom and revelation that Paul wants to impart to to these young churches. The first part has to do with them getting greater revelation through the Spirit. And what he wants them to grasp is exactly who God is. 
so that they might know him better. And I think we too need this. I think sometimes our God is too small. Our view of God is too small. We haven't yet grasped the fullness of all he has. We never will. But we can increase in our knowledge and understanding of who he is. And the more we know him, the more we get to know him, the greater our worship will be. God is not our sugar daddy here to meet our needs. God is not struggling to maintain his authority in the face of an out-of-control world. God is not absent from his creation. Our Father is the ultimate power of the universe. He is working out his plans and purposes to bring all things in subjection to himself. There is nothing that is beyond his control or outside of his knowledge. Even the minutiae of our lives are known to him. And he wants to be part of everything that we are and everything we're involved in. Even the disasters and evils of the world are not beyond him. And he will have his kingdom come. And he will have his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's the destiny of the earth for that prayer to be fulfilled. That prayer that Jesus gave us to pray. And as we pray it, we see the increasing of the kingdom coming. Because Jesus will bring about all that he promised, and bring all things under his authority. Knowledge of who God is can give us peace in the midst of the storm. It can be the rock on which we can hold. It can give us joy even when all around us is sadness. It can give us hope when all seems hopeless. Knowing God better is the means to true happiness in this world. But in order to know him better, we need to take time with him. We need to spend time in the word and in prayer. You can't expect to know somebody well if all you ever do is say hi to them once a week. Just in passing. Getting to know someone takes time, it takes investment. And as Paul is praying for this young church to receive wisdom and revelation... The other part of the thing is, they won't get it unless they take time to receive it. Take time with God, take time in prayer, take time in the word. And neither will we. If you want to know more of God, you want to know him increasingly, you want to know more of his power, take time with him. For then he will be pleased to give you a spirit of knowledge, understanding, revelation, that will increase that understanding. And you will have that sense of the strong the stronghold that God is for each one of us. Next he prays that out of that this relationship with God their understanding will be increased so that they might know the hope of his calling which is the riches of his glorious inheritance. What's the hope of our calling? Oh, come on, church. How many times do I have to tell you? The hope of our calling is resurrection. What's the hope of our calling? One more time. The hope of our calling is? Hallelujah. (laughs) 
And Paul reiterates this many times in his letters. You and I live in a material world. And without knowledge of God, all we can look forward to is a few years and then the grave. This is what Richard Dawkins writes. In a universe of blind physical forces and genetic replication, some people are going to get hurt. Other people are going to get lucky. And you won't find any rhyme or reason in it, nor any justice. The universe we observe has precisely the properties we should expect if there is at the bottom no design, no purpose, no evil, no other good, nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. DNA knows ni- neither knows nor cares. DNA just is, and we dance to its music. How bleak is that? <laughs> Hopeless! And this is how many in the world around us live. No hope, no real meaning to anything they do. But for us who believe, we have a hope beyond the grave. Our hope is not floating around on a cloud plucking on a harp. It's the hope of resurrection, of coming back to this material world in a glorified body. It's the hope of a future and a destiny that will last beyond the grave and for eternity. We have the secret of eternal life. Hallelujah. And the promise is confirmed in the fact that God has already proved he can do it. How? Because he's raised Christ from the dead. And because he's raised Christ from the dead, he can raise you and me from the dead. Jesus couldn't be much more deader, if I can say that. Every physical thing possible had, gone, had come against him. There was no way he could rise from the dead. And yet God, in his infinite power, took that crushed and broken body and raised it up to new life. And because he's done that, the promise is for you and for me that we will be resurrected. It doesn't matter if our ashes are scattered. It doesn't matter if our dust has been uh, seeped into the ground and become its natural resources, God will gather us and he will raise us up and give us a glorious new body. That's the hope of our calling. Think about that for a moment. The same power that raised Christ from the dead is currently at work in you. It's moving you towards your own resurrection. It's shaping your character into the likeness of Christ. It's caused your spirit to be born again. Our hope is not based on fantasy or false promises because God has already proved he can do it in raising Jesus from the dead and he will do it for you. And right now you're already in the process of resurrection because he's changing you from one degree of glory to another. Because that same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is at work in you. Hallelujah. So having laid that platform, Paul then goes on to talk about the other part of what he says. That, God, that, that the power that was at work in Christ didn't just raise him from the dead. It also seated him in the heavenly realms above everything else. Above every power on earth that's been named or cannot be named. Above every authority. That's what Paul says was achieved. Through the power at work in the resurrection of Jesus. He's not only raised from the dead, he's seated above all rulers, authorities, powers and dominions. And over every title that can be given both in this world and in the next. This means that there's no power in the whole of the universe that's greater than Jesus this morning. There is no earthly king or president who is above him. Or who will not be brought to account for him. 
Barack Obama will bow the knee to Jesus. David Cameron will bow the knee to, to Jesus. The leaders of ISIS will bow their name to, knee to Jesus. Even Satan will bow the knee to Jesus. There is no power in the universe that's higher than him. There is nobody, there is nothing, there is no power that's not subject to him. Now the writers of the Hebrews, in Hebrews 2, 8 to 9, reminds us that, that we don't yet see everything acknowledging that fact. He says this, For in subjecting all things to him, he left nothing that is not subject to him. But now we do not yet see all things subjected to him. But we do see him who was made for a little while, while lower than the angels, namely Jesus, because of the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, so that by the grace of God he might take death for everyone. The writer is saying, everything is subject to Christ right now. It just hasn't realized it yet. Hasn't acknowledged it. The world rulers might think they're in control, but actually they are still, even now, subject to Christ. And one day that's going to become a reality. And everything will bow the knee to him. The sooner the better. And God is working out his purposes to make Christ's lordship a reality. And the means through which that is being achieved is through his own obedience that took him to the cross on our behalf. And having established that, Paul then says two amazing things. He says, firstly, that Jesus is head over everything for the church. Jesus' headship is over everything so that God can continue to work out his purposes in the earth of bringing everything back under his authority. And the chosen vessel through which this will happen on the earth is the church. You are part of the process through which God is bringing everything back under his authority. That's what we're here for, to bring everything under Christ's authority. This brings a whole new perspective on why we meet together. We're not just here to be blessed. We're not just here to worship or to hear some sermons or to have a cup of coffee together or any of the other activities we do during the week. We're here as the means through which Jesus is exercising his authority on the earth. We're an extension of Jesus himself. So how do we do that? Well, I think there are three things we can do to demonstrate the authority of Jesus. The first one is to bring all things in our own lives in subjection to Christ. To bring all things in our own lives in subjection to Christ. Are we continuing in secret sin? Are we withholding our resources? Are we living with broken relationships, either with people in or out of the church? All of these things need to be brought into subjection to Christ. The first place where the lordship of Jesus needs to be seen is in our own lives. For that is where the kingdom comes, when we are truly submitted to him. Augustine said this, Jesus Christ is not valued at all, until he's valued above all. Jesus Christ is not valued at all until he's valued above all. A wife or a husband who is 85% loyal to their partner is not loyal at all. In the same way, unless we're 100% surrendered to Christ, we're not surrendered at all. 
the first place where that has to have an effect is in our hearts. So the first thing is to surrender ourselves. The second thing we can do to see the authority of Christ worked out through his church is pray. And Paul returns to this theme, of course, in chapter 6, which we'll look at later on in this series. But as we pray, we wrestle with supernatural strongholds. We overcome the enemy in order to see the release of power, of the power of God on earth. As we pray into the things that affect the world, we can see those things brought into subjection to Christ and the plan of God being worked out. Please don't underestimate the power of prayer to change things or our need to pray. If you've read any of the stories of the great prayer warriors of the past, you'll know that prayer changes things. Read of Hudson Taylor, Robert Murray McShane, Praying Hyde, or more recently Derek Prince. And you'll know that serious prayer in faith can change world situations, it can change local situations, it can break the power of the enemy, and it can bring the blessing of God. This is especially true of corporate prayer. Ian Bounds, who wrote a fantastic book on prayer, said this, What the church needs needs today is not more machinery, or better, not new organisations, or more novel methods, but men and women whom the Holy Ghost can use. Men and women of prayer. Men mighty in prayer. We can put all the systems in place we want. We can do all the fancy things. And none of that is bad. But actually it's prayer that will change things. It's prayer that makes a difference. It's prayer that will break the power of the enemy. It's prayer that will bring the blessing of God to our situations. Let's not skimp on prayer. The third thing we can do. We can seek to live as Jesus in the world. As we model him in our character and our behaviour. As we look to share what he has done for us and for those around us. We give others the opportunity to come under his power and into salvation. You and I have the means for bringing others into the kingdom. And bringing them into that place of subjection to the king of kings. Where they will acknowledge who the real king of this universe is will come under his authority and begin to live as he has designed us to live, which is the best way to live. So Jesus is head over all things for the church. The second amazing thing that Paul says at the end of this passage is that the church makes Christ complete. How can we make Jesus complete? It's... Incredible. As the church becomes all that it's supposed to be, and as it's fitted up, uh, sorry, filled up with all those whom he's chosen for salvation, so the work that God had for Christ to do from before the foundation of the world is completed. As the church is filled up with all those called and chosen from before the foundation of the world, so Jesus becomes more, more fulfilled, more complete. We fill up. What is missing? But what can be missing from Jesus? Well, it's, the, it's about the work that he came to do. And the work is not yet complete. And as we bring more in, so we complete the work that completes who Christ is. You can't love God and hate or reject the church. The church is the core of his plan for the world. 
You can't live properly as a Christian outside of the church. It's a contradiction in terms. The church is the hope of the world. And that's what Paul is saying. And I know the church is not perfect. We can point the finger at what the church has done over the centuries. Or even at our own shortcomings as a church here in Beverly. But despite all of that, the church is the means God is using to work out his purpose. And our desire should be to see the church become all that it was meant to be and to work to make it more so. How we see the church and how we act towards it matters because it's the body of Christ on earth. And that's Paul's message. Amen. Let's pray. Father, may we grasp more deeply all that you are and all that you've done for us. May we grow in our knowledge of who you are and may we fulfill what you've called us to do in being your church your people for the sake of your kingdom amen